Pastor Tom Keller offers this practical advice. You will never know the blessings that God wants to walk you in tomorrow until you learn to obey him today. That's just reality. And it really isn't very difficult. Wake up, do the right thing, go to bed. You string 10 of those together, 100 of those together, 1,000 of those together, which is three years. You will find yourself in a completely different place, one day at a time. People say, but I want to know what's going to happen a week from now. I want to know what's happening next year. I want to know what's going to happen with this person in my life. Look, 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 look. Wake up, do the right thing, go to bed. And God will honor that because God blesses obedience. Hello and welcome to Study the Word, where we open and study the Bible. Our teacher is Pastor Tom Keller of Calvary Chapel in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. He's currently leading us through a series of studies from the Gospel of John. Today in chapter 13, Jesus instructs the disciples on servanthood and makes the point, now that you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. That's a good word for us too. Here's Pastor Tom with more. Verse 8 and 9. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. We see here he turns on a dime, but he turns on a dime after supper again, doesn't he? I will never deny you, even if all the others do. And what happens? He turns on a dime, and three times he denies him. Peter was impetuous. Collins defines the word impetuous as one marked by impulsive passion. That fits him, doesn't it? One marked by impulsive passion. Note Peter's extreme swing here from you will never wash my feet, wanting Jesus not to wash anything, now suddenly to wanting Jesus to wash everything. And Jesus is so gentle, so kind here. Jesus could have chided Peter for his insolence, his refusal to get with the program, but he doesn't. If it were me, if it would have been me, I know what I would have said. Peter, again, really? Peter, again? Must you always be the guy that fights me, argues? Really, Peter, again? But Jesus didn't say that. Instead, he lovingly takes on the time to explain. Verse 10, Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not, does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. Now many opinions can be found regarding what Jesus intends here. The one that I personally like is that Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you are already clean because of the words I have shared with you. We find that in John 15, verse 3, where Jesus said this, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Peter, in other words, you are already pure, you are already clean, but life continues to happen. We continue to miss the mark. We continue to sin. In other words, Peter, and to us, positionally, we are clean, but we continue on in our struggle against sin. 
I think Hebrews speaks to this dichotomy of the flesh and the spirit. Hebrews 10 verse 14 says, for by that one offering, he, Jesus, forever made perfect those who are being made holy. So what he says is positionally, because of what Jesus did, his offering, you are forever perfect, positionally. And yet he says, at the same time, you're being made holy. Someone who's perfect doesn't need to be made holy. You're already holy. But this shows the difference between positional truth. He sees us as perfected in Christ. At the same time, he's sanctifying us. He's cleaning us up. So this is that idea that you are already pure, positionally. But in reality, sin happens. Galatians 5.17 drives this point home so practically. It says a sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. It's a struggle within us. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. The flesh and the Spirit always doing battle. Sometimes people will ask me, they'll say, so Tom, didn't you tell us one time that when we get saved, God forgave all of my sins, past, present, and future, and future? And I say, yes. I usually know what's coming. Then they say, well, then why do I need to continue to ask God to forgive me of my daily sins since they've already been forgiven? It's a good question. The reason is so that you stay honest with God. If you refuse to acknowledge your ongoing sin to God, it will not touch your relationship with God, but it will affect your fellowship with God. It will not touch your relationship with God but it will affect your fellowship with God. To use the example, if you had a 15-year-old son and he went to a party and you find out that for the very first time he used pot and he comes home from that party and you say, how was the party? It's just good. What'd you do? Oh, we, we played games and we had soda. We had a really nice time. Well, you know he used pot. Well, you have a choice here. You can confront him. Who knows where that's going to go? Or the best thing would be if he would confess it, right? Wouldn't that be the best? Without being prompted, he just confesses it. Because you see, until he confesses it, it's going to break fellowship with you and your child. It's going to break fellowship. Because you know something's going on, he knows something is going on, but they don't confess it. Now there's a wall between you. And so although positionally our sins, future sins, are already forgiven, We continue to confess them so that we don't build those walls between us and God. It doesn't affect his love for us, but it affects our relationship with him. And then Jesus addresses Judas, the one in the room who will die unforgiven. John 13, verse 10, Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. So verse 10 and 11 clearly point out Judas as being the one of the 12 who is not clean, the one who will betray him. And verse 11 says that Jesus knew who would betray him. Now question, how long had Jesus known this, that Judas would betray him? just before he chose Judas as a disciple? After he chose him because he wouldn't have chosen him had he known it? No, 
Jesus knew that Judas would betray him from the beginning of time. So with that said, imagine the pre-incarnate Christ in heaven watching Judas's parents as children being matched together by their parents. And then picture Jesus watching Judas's parents' wedding day and watching Judas on the day he was born, watching Judas in school at his bar mitzvah, Judas at his wedding, Judas, his children being born. All the time, Jesus knowing through foreknowledge that this son, this husband, this father would one day betray him. In fact, on the day Jesus called Judas to be a disciple, he did so knowing Judas would betray him. Can you imagine how hard that would have been for Jesus to pick Judas out of the crowd and say, come be my disciple? What do you think Judas's face looked like when he called him? I think he was filled with glee. I think his intentions at that point were really to be a disciple. How did Jesus look at him when he said yes? Knowing he was going to betray him. Was there any look at all on Jesus' face that would have been betrayed what he knew? I don't think so. Who could do that? Jesus. John 13, verse 11. It says, for Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. And when the feet washing is over, Jesus then explains why he washed their feet. Verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is a messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So after finally washing Peter's feet, Jesus sits down with Peter and the other 11 who were apparently already seated. And Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord. In Greek, the word teacher is didaskias, and it means a teacher. In New Testament, specifically one who teaches things of God. You call me teacher and Lord. Lord is kurias, and it means supreme in authority, controller. And Jesus is certainly both of those, the ultimate teacher and the one supreme in authority, the controller of all things. I love Colossians 1.15. Christ is a visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth, He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. So as Jesus was down on his knees washing the disciples' feet, simultaneous to that, he's holding the universe together. He's holding all of the planets in their perfect orbit as he's taking on the role of a servant, simultaneous to that. 
Talk about extremes. In verse 14, Jesus explains what he wanted them to learn through this feet washing experience. He says, since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So is Jesus pointing us to the idea of feet washing itself, that we should go to work and offer to wash the feet of the person in the cubicle next to us? Well, I guess if God says yes, yes, but probably no. Can I tell you a quick story? I love this story. Back in the early days of Calvary Chapel, there was a hippie that was driving through a very exclusive area in Southern California in his, in his Volkswagen van. A hippie, a hippie, a hippie. And as he's driving through this exclusive area, he hears, he hears God say to him, stop and yell, Jesus loves you in, the mail, in a mailbox. And he said, I'm not going to yell, Jesus loves you in a mailbox. And the voice came back in his mind, stop and yell, Jesus loves you in a mailbox. So I think, I'm not sure what happened a third time, but finally he stopped. And there was a big mailbox. He thought, I can get my head in that. And he puts his head and he yells, Jesus loves you. Pulls his head out, looks around, doesn't see anything, walks back to his van. And right as he's getting in the van, the man comes out of one of the houses and he said, what did you say? He said, man, I said, Jesus loves you. He said, I was just ready to hang myself. I had the rope hanging around the chandelier. I was ready to knock the chair out. And I heard you yelling, Jesus loves you. So if God tells you something crazy to do, if it's not out, outside of the character of God to say it, sometimes he might be in it. So maybe you do want to wash someone's feet at work tomorrow. Maybe. But the point behind this act was a lesson on humility. A call to lead is a call to serve. Listen, a call to lead is a call to serve. That in God's economy, a leader is one who serves those above them aside of them and beneath them. That we should never be proud or vain or unwilling to take a low place in serving, but to regard any act of service to which we are called as an honored duty. And folks, this is the essential mark of a Christian leader. And it is found in every true Christian leader. Remember the story of a man who went to a conference because he wanted to hear the keynote speaker. It was in a large convention center, just filled with, with crowds. And he needed to go to the bathroom, but he didn't want to miss the keynote speaker, so he went right before the keynote speaker came to stage. And he went to the bathroom, and as he's in the bathroom, of course, the halls were empty, the bathroom was empty because everyone was still in the, in the session. And as he walked into the bathroom, the keynote speaker was in the bathroom picking up towels that had fallen under the floor from an overflowing uh, trash container and putting him in the trash container, pressing it down. And he said, I wanted to hear him before that, but now I really wanted to hear what he had to say. See, it's the true mark of a real leader. And Jesus in verse 16 says that the messenger is not more important than the message sender this is similar to Luke 6, verse 40, where it says, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. And there's a huge lesson here for college students. Looking solely at your college education or experience, you will not become greater than your professors. You may become as great, but from their teaching, you will become just as great. So, my 
encouragement to you, looking at college, maybe in college, choose your college, choose your professors very carefully. Because if character is not a part of what they display to you, you're being cheated. Some of you need some of the technical things that a, that a non-Christian will provide. But when you have the option, choose a teacher with character because you will become as great but not greater. So how does today's lesson apply to me? Number one, always, always remember that in every single leadership position that you will ever be called to, whether it be as a husband or a mother or a supervisor or a boss or a Sunday school teacher, it is and always will be a call to serve. Never to lord it over others. Never. Folks, that is Christian Leadership 101. Chuck Smith is famous for saying that when people came to him and said, hey, I want to preach in your church. I think God's calling me to preach in this church. He'd say, that's great. Come out Monday. They came out Monday. He'd hand him a plunger and say, go unclog the toilet. He said, didn't you hear I was called to preach? I heard you. This is where it starts. My father, my grandfather, when he would start people in the business, uh, the first day he, my father told me this, the first day at work, he'd have hand him a sledgehammer. And there was a big, big stone wall out behind the dealership. Some of you know the dealership. It's just limestone, big limestone bank. He'd say, just hammer that limestone. And they'd say, that's not what I want to do. He said, well, that's where you start. And if they quit, they quit. If they kept there, he hired them the next day. You know, never lord it over others. Number one, being called to lead is always a call to serve. Number two, that ultimately, no matter how softly you say no to God, or even if you just ignore his promptings, it is exactly the same as you say, I will never do that, God. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Number three, choose your teachers wisely. Listen, Luke 6.40, again, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. You students today from ages 5 to 95, try to place yourself under those teachers that you trust and admire. Character matters. I remember when Bill Clinton had some of his troubles. I remember a number of news agencies saying things like this, his character doesn't matter as long as he can lead us. That is a lie. Character matters. Character matters. And number four, John 13, verse 17. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Listen, folks, one translation says obedience is the pathway to blessing. Obedience is a pathway to blessings. And God walking your uh, life into even a more blessed life tomorrow is conditional upon you obeying God today. You will never discover God's best tomorrow unless you obey him today. Do you believe that? You will never discover God's best tomorrow for you unless you obey him today. I love what Hebrews 5.14 says. You will never be able to eat solid spiritual food and understand the deeper things of God's word until you become better Christians than learn right from wrong, 
by practicing doing right. You want to grow in your faith? You practice by doing what he's already shown you to do. You have known, I have known Christians, brand new Christians, that were on a fast track. And in one year, they covered more ground than a lot of Christians covered in 10 years. They just ripped, and they grew, and they grew, and they grew. You know what makes a difference? They just kept obeying. They just simply kept obeying. And as they obey, God takes them into the next lesson, to the next lesson, to the next lesson. Deeper understandings, deeper levels of truth. That's just how it works. But for most people, they get on that journey, and they come up against something they don't want to give up. Someone they won't forgive, something they won't do. Some person they should walk away from, but they won't. And they will just stop in their tracks. People will say, well, God should take me around that and keep me growing. Oh, it doesn't work that way. You will stop. I've watched it. You've watched it. Once they hit that block, until they get over it, they're going to be arrested in their spiritual journey. You will never know the blessings that God wants to walk you in tomorrow until you learn to obey him today. That's just reality. And it really isn't very difficult. Said this before. Here's the key. You ready? This is profound. Wake up, do the right thing, go to bed. Wake up, do the right thing, go to bed. What do you think you do the third day? Wake up, do the right thing, go to bed. And listen, this is what you're going to find. I promise you this is true. You string 10 of those together, 100 of those together, 1,000 of those together, which is three years you will find yourself in a completely different place. A completely different place. One day at a time. People say, but I want to know what's going to happen a week from now. I want to know what's happening next year. I want to know what's going to happen with this person in my life. Look, 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 look. Wake up, do the right thing, go to bed. And God will honor that because God blesses obedience. Just obey him today. You can do that. Don't worry about tomorrow. Let him worry about tomorrow. You worry about today. You don't have to worry about today. Just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. Can we do that? Try that? Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And I've often said when, when we're on this side of the cross and we sin, you're not angry at our sin. That was all paid for. All that wrath was poured out on the cross. You are never angry about our sin once we're saved, but you are hurt by our disobedience because through foreknowledge, you know exactly what that's going to cost us. You know the blessings you wanted us to walk into that our disobedience has cost us. So I pray, Lord, that we would just do what we can do today. Wake up, do the right thing, go to bed, knowing that if we take care of our today, you will take care of our tomorrow. That's just who you are. And listen, if you're here today or you're listening to the radio, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, God is going to give you enough light to get saved today. He's going to say to you that you need to be in a relationship with this God who promises to bless obedience. But it begins with a relationship. If you'd like to do that, I just encourage you to pray this prayer. Just say this quietly in your heart after me. Lord Jesus, I confess that I have sinned. I have made so many mistakes. And I ask you to forgive me. And I do receive Jesus Christ, his death on the cross as payment for my sins. Him dying that I could live. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, help me 
Help all of us, whether we prayed that prayer today for the first time or decades ago, help us to live lives that honor you. And tomorrow morning, wake up and do the right thing and trust you for the outcome. And this we pray in Christ's name and all of God's people said, amen. You're listening to Study the Word with Pastor Tom Keller and part of our study in the Gospel of John. Replay any message you enjoy by going to our website, ccleb.com, or visit our YouTube page. Subscribe to our channel at Calvary Chapel, Lebanon, and watch our services live or on demand. For a CD copy, call us at 717-273-5633. Again, that's 717-273-5633. Stay connected with us through Facebook and Instagram. You'll find us at Calvary Chapel, Lebanon, PA. God is doing a great work through Study the Word, and perhaps you'd like to be a part of it. You can do so through your prayers and financial support. To help us provide Study the Word on stations like this one all across the nation, visit ccleb.com or call 717-273-5633. If you prefer to write, let me give you our mailing address, Study the Word, 740 Willow Street, Lebanon, Pennsylvania, 17046. Tom Keller is the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Lebanon, and he loves to meet his radio listeners. For more information about our service times or to watch the live stream, visit ccleb.com. Or again, go to our YouTube channel at Calvary Chapel, Lebanon. There's much more to come in the Gospel of John. Join us in the days ahead. Study the Word with Pastor Tom Keller is presented by Calvary Chapel, Lebanon, Pennsylvania, and made possible through the support of our listeners. 